Welcome to a very special episode of the Pop Goes the Culture podcast for Thursday, August the 27th. I am one of your hosts, Joey Mills, and my guest today is the host of Two Peas on a Podcast. Uh, go ahead, Gerald, and introduce yourself. I can't imagine anybody listening to this show doesn't know about Two Peas, but go ahead and just kind of break down uh, Two Peas for us and what folks can find if they're not already subscribed to Two Peas. Well, thanks, man. That's very nice. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of yours, Joey, and thank you so much for having me on the show. You know, you've been on the P's a few times, but mm-hmm. for whatever reason, I've never made my way over here, man. So we we had a reason to do it, and here I am. So it, it means the world that you're having me. I appreciate it. You know, we just, as you know, but just to let your listeners know, we just do a fun top five show, basically, a countdown show. So we count down movies, music, TV, and pop culture. And uh, my guests, about 80% of the time, will come up with a topic. It'll be me. And a different special guest host each week. Like I said, you've been on a few times yourself. And, you know, you'll bring the topic to me and I'll say, okay, and we'll spend a week or so getting our list together. And then we'll record the show where we just count down our favorites in said category. It's usually movies. You know, movies often dominate the conversation. I would say probably 70% of the time is movies. But I'm a big fan of music, too. So we'll often veer off into the music spectrum as well. And then every once in a while, we'll throw a TV list in there, too. So it's just kind of all over the entertainment spectrum. But... Uh, you know, we have a good time, you know, and I have I love having guest hosts rotating out and they bring different perspectives every week, which is great. And different movies come into the mix. So uh, the easiest thing to do, man, is just hit us up on Twitter and you can follow us on there. It's at two peas on a pod. And that is T.W.O. spelled out again. Thank you so much for having me, brother. Absolutely. That's part of the reason why it's a special episode, because I've got Gerald here and it's hard to pull that off. Uh, but the other reason why with this is a very special episode is because uh as you just described, uh, we recorded for two peas and you, we were talking about, Hey, it'd be fun to do this again, come up with an idea. Let's do something. So I came up with, I think the most convoluted idea that I could possibly come up with. And then not only did we do that and we recorded that episode and that dropped yesterday on two peas. So folks can go look for that. It's the most recent episode. But it was a two-parter, so we got to turn around and do it up for this show. So it's awesome that we can do the first half with yours and then the second half uh, the next day over here. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, So (laughs) now we got to figure out a way to describe this. And I think you did it well uh, when Mm -hmm. you were talking about yesterday's episode. So do you want to kind of describe what we're going to be talking about today? Well, yeah, I'll try. And, you know, this is your (laughs) thing, Joey. So if I'm wrong, correct me. But, um, you know, on the 2P show... Earlier this week, we did superhero actors from comic book films and other films that they were in that were not comic book related. So, you know, the heroes in those in those comic book franchises. So then on your show tonight, we're doing the same concept, but we're doing the actors that portrayed villains in comic book franchises. But we're taking those villains and we're saying what was our favorite movie they were in that was not uh, in the superhero realm. Is that accurate? That is no, that's absolutely that's that's much better than I know that's better than how I approached you with it. So, <laughs> so yeah, that's, I mean, that's was, fantastic. I, it was joking in jest with you when we recorded the other night, and I mean, honestly, it's like, I mean, it's a great topic, but it was also one of the heads most head scratching topics <laughs> I had because it was not hard to come up with a list because there's so many movies on these on these people's resumes. You know what I mean? But it was just like, what angle do I attack it from? Like, what takes prominence over why it's on my list you know what i mean and similar to what i did when i told you when you were on the peas i picked villains from the ones we're talking about tonight that that were some of my favorite like bad guy performances from those comic book movies and then i said okay so i've got this person i i pick you know xyz so i've got this actor x now what's my favorite movie that he or she was in that is not comic book and those are the five that i'm going to be naming that's awesome. That is totally the opposite of the approach I took, as we explained on the, the first half of, the, of this uh, discussion. Uh, I said, what is some? Of, what are some of my favorite performances uh, 
And then were they in a superhero movie? Were they a villain? Okay, cool. I can work that in. So uh, okay. it's it's fun. It's going to be a lot of fun because uh, we approached it two different ways. And I and we did not do – I know I'm not going to spoil anything from uh, what we did because I want people to go back and listen because it was a lot of fun. Yeah. But I don't think we had any crossover in our top five yesterday, did we? No, I've got it here in front of me. Yeah. Um, let's see. Well, I didn't put the honorable mentions, but we definitely right. didn't have – Top, we did, definitely didn't have any top five crossover. That's awesome. So I, it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, with the villains here. I, I'm guessing, and I think I told you this before we recorded off the air earlier in the day. That I thought uh, the the over under was two. I thought maybe between our top mm-hmm. five heroes and our top five villains, I thought maybe we'd have about two. And I, so far none, right? So well, yeah, we, maybe uh, maybe should took the under on that. So I don't know. I would have thought so too, though, if yeah. I'm being honest. But now that I'm looking at my villain movies here, mm-hmm. I don't know, man. I mean, I feel like I've gotten to know you pretty well, but I think maybe my top 10, like if we do the extended list, there's a, there's more of a chance. Right. But I don't know, man. We might not. Maybe one. I think maybe one tonight. We maybe might one. vote. Mm, that'll, yeah. be, that'll be interesting. We're going to find out real quick. So that is the way this whole conversation is broken down. You can check out uh, Two Peas on a Podcast. The most recent episode, yesterday's episode, has the first half of the discussion. That is our top five however you described it, our top five performances by an actor or actress who was a good guy in a comic book film, but we're not talking about those films. We're talking about the other films they've done that aren't comic book films. See, you're so much better at that than that I am. On, that's not going to fit on my graphic. <laughs> that, that won't fit on Twitter. You've only got 280 characters on Twitter. You don't even get to put a link to the episode if you do that. Oh, so, man. so let's kick the, let's kick this thing off. Let's start with your number five, However, you want to describe that your number yeah, movie, five. a movie villain in another role. There so, uh, so this is not a comic book film at my number five, but it would be possibly considered a villainous role in and of itself. Okay. But I see his role in this film that I'm about to talk about as very unique because he is a villain that is also heroic. Um, it's really weird in that way, but. You know, last year, Joaquin Phoenix won the Academy Award and starred in the Todd Phillips film Joker. Mm-hmm. Joker is probably the most infamous comic book villain of all time, if I'm being honest. And I don't mean his portrayal. I just mean that character of the Joker. And he obviously gave one of the better performances of that character at winning the Academy Award for it. So in 2017, he was in a film by Lynn Ramsey called You Were Never Really Here, Joaquin Phoenix. So he's the actor I'm choosing, and I'm picking You Were Never Really Here as my number five. Did you ever see that one? I did not. That's one that I – and it's not because I didn't didn't want to see the film. I just – I didn't know the way to approach that film because that was at the time where he was doing this kind of weird thing with mm-hmm. the media and a very much a perform performance art kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And because I didn't quite understand that, I didn't. I kind of stayed away from that film. So I, yeah, I don't have a point of reference on that. So that's, well, interesting. I, I, I don't want to give anything away then. Oh, Cause yeah. there, there are, there are plot and it's only a couple years old, so it's fairly recent. So if anybody hasn't seen it, it's on Amazon prime right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want to give it away cause I would highly recommend going in cold you for sure. But, uh, your listeners, I would recommend seeing it as well, but I feel like you would dig it, Joey, for sure. Uh, but like I said, it's on Prime. But just a real quick, like brief kind of like what he does in this movie. You know, he's a hitman. So he's a former veteran uh, who suffers from PTSD mm-hmm. and he has nightmares as a result of that. And he's just just I mean, for lack of a better way to put it, he's just kind of down in the dumps about his life. But his job now that he's not in the military anymore is he's a hitman and he ends up taking this one gig and it ends up kind of. um leading him to this girl who had been kidnapped and they he in an effort to rescue her they gain a very tight bond throughout the course of the film and he becomes very close to her um and there's some other stuff that i don't want to mention because i don't want to spoil it but it's you know him kind of having the first like human relationship that he's had in in a decade because of what he's been going through he's been so isolated and he really i mean you know joaquin phoenix man i mean he i mean (laughs) I mean, he's one of the best actors of our time, if not of all time. So he really devotes himself to this role and he really uh, pulls that off. I mean, he really sells it. And then just the kind of like villainous aspect, too, of the hitman persona that he has in this movie, because there's some uh, very like tumultuous scenes where he's really vicious in this movie. Um when he's doing some of these hits, I mean, cause he doesn't use guns. If that gives you a hint, 
like he basically kills people with his bare hands or with whatever's laying around because that's how he wants to do it. Right. Uh, and it's also got a little bit to do with like his mental state and things like that. So uh, it's a great movie, especially if you like just seeing a great actor do a great performance, which is what this is. And Lynn Ramsey is an amazing filmmaker, man. She's a female filmmaker and she has this really th- thing that I love, but people actually that have seen this movie that like the movie that are huge critics of the movie don't like it. I love it, but she does this thing where uh, when the movie's like in the height of a scene where it's like the tension is at, at, at its peak and he's about to kill somebody or he's in the process of killing somebody and it's like the climax is built up to this point, she'll just cut and it just cuts to the <laughs> And I love that. Like I, I thought that was such a very like stylistic way to film and a very brave way to film where you don't have to show every single grotesque detail. Do you know what I mean? To yeah. still get the point across. Um, but I don't want to give too much away. But just generally speaking, that's what the movie's about. And I feel like it's one of Joaquin's best roles. And it's underseen. I mean, you just admitted you hadn't seen it. And I'm sure a lot of people haven't. Yeah. So I would say seek it out if you're into Joaquin Phoenix, if you like him as an actor, but it's called You Were Never Really Here. Very cool. Number five, You Were Never Really Here with Joaquin Phoenix. All right. So my number five is another little known, little seen film as well. Um, but this is a film from 2008. It is set in the world of mixed martial arts. And immediately you're thinking like, you know, like a Van Damme type testosterone fueled, like, oh, slugfest. But it's not. It's a very reserved, very, um, it's, it's, it's a drama more than it is an action film. And the actor that is our lead in this, he absolutely has this quiet dignity and grace and yet is also you know fully in charge of of himself and what he's capable of doing um but it's uh Chiwe Ejiofor who played Baron Mordo in Doctor Strange and he starred in David Mamet's 2008 film Red Belt. Have okay. You, have you seen Red Belt at all? I have not seen this and I have to admit I thought you were going a different direction and now but now I'm afraid to mention the direction you were Just going. Just in case. Don't mention it. <laughs> But I'll tell you at the end, remind me what I okay. thought Red Belt was at the end if you don't mention the other movie. But I have not, I've heard of this one, but I have not seen it. Yeah, it's worth checking out. I don't know if it's streaming. I'd have to check. I can pull up justwatch.com and check, but I haven't. I'm not going to right now. Um, but yeah, it is a, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a guy who is trained in, you know, the mixed martial arts. Um, and mm-hmm. there are, promoters who are trying to exploit him basically and they're trying to put on this big pay-per-view type event um and so they're wanting to know like his training secrets and whatnot and and again they and they've gimmicked it so you know he doesn't want to go along but he also needs the money um so they're talking about you know we can put you in a match and they'll have you know it's just weird stipulations but then like they've gimmicked that and so it's just very much this guy who is trying to maintain his pride and his honor and his dignity in the face of he's got to have the money. Um, and how do you go about this in a dirty, sleazy, again, testosterone fueled world? Um, it has some great perform, uh, some great supporting performances. The, the finale is just, it, it's the, the whole film from start to, to finish is just, it's quiet and it's understated and it's reserved in the middle of this absolute shitstorm that's going on around this guy. It's a fantastic performance, I think. So so okay. that is my number five, Red Belt. I'll add it to the list, man. It sounds great. There you go. We've each got one to watch now from each other's list. And we just other, started. What the hell? We're giving right. each other homework out of the gate here. But yeah, I'll, I'll definitely check that out, man. It sounds up my alley for sure. There you go. So, so my, number four, yes. my number four is one that I'm assuming you have seen. Um, it's it's one of my favorite. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and tell you it's in my top five films of all time uh, across any genre. The reason it's only four on this list, though, is because I'm talking about this actor. So keep that in mind. So the right. actor, Gene Hackman, who famously played Lex Luthor in the early versions of the cinematic Superman. So he was Lex Luthor in the 70s and 80s with, alongside Christopher Reeve. Well, now fast forward to 1991 and he wins the Academy Award and kind of starts this stint of, of course, Lex Luthor is a villain. But I mean, he starts the stint of just being a very seedy villain in the Old West. And he had quite a few movies like Quick and the Dead and some other ones that came after this. 
But it's 1991's Unforgiven, Clint Eastwood's masterpiece, is my number four because of Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor in the Superman films. You seen Unforgiven? Absolutely. Fantastic pig. Love the film. I kind of like his performance in Quick and the Dead just a little bit more than Unforgiven because it's something that we've talked about yesterday when we were talking about uh, some of our heroic performances because mm-hmm. it's 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 playing number one it's the Sam Raimi aesthetic you know it you you watch it and you know it's a Raimi film immediately right. but he's right. he's kind of he's kind of playing a little more over the top a little more uh, absurd in Quick and the Dead and I kind of dig that from Gene Hackman I love Gene Hackman and I love his dramatic roles but I kind of like it when he gives us something we weren't exactly expecting you know right one unforgiven is little bill daggett uh you know he he's a sheriff in this town big whiskey wyoming in the 1880s post-civil war gold rush era and he just wants to protect his town so he doesn't want these outlaws in his town you know william money portrayed by clint eastwood is an infamous outlaw who's kind of you know revitalizing his uh, career or whatever you want to call it because he's trying to get this this bounty and there's a lot of other folks that are descending upon the town as well for the same reason so he's really at the core just trying to protect the townspeople i mean he's just literally trying to be the sheriff of the town right so it's ironic that the, the well-intentioned little bill ends up being the antagonist in this film when really william money if you look at it on paper should be the villain. You know, right. I mean, he should be the one that is unsavory because of, you know, killing women and children and, you know, like living this life of crime or whatever. But for whatever reason, the way it's portrayed and the way Gene Hackman really embodies that kind of uh, just pretentiousness in the movie where he just kind of has this thing where he just thinks he's better than everybody and he's just had a better fate than everyone that's around him and, you know, all these people that he know, English Bob and everybody that he confronts. And um, he just does such, you know, there's that one scene where he uh, meets English Bob outside of the barbershop, you know, portrayed by Richard Harris, this Mm -hmm. older gentleman who it's ambiguous. We don't know if he's there for the bounty or if he just happens to be there. It's coincidence. Like they don't never, they never really tell us, but little Bill has made up his mind that he's going to make an example out of this guy. And he literally just kicks the (laughs) shit out of in front of the entire town, you know? And that really paints a picture for the audience that Gene Hackman is a vicious son of a bitch in this movie. Um, and he, like I said, he won the Academy Award for it. It's definitely one of his best performances of his career, in my opinion. It's my favorite performance of his, but it's also probably because I love this movie so much. Uh, but yeah, that's my number four, man. Gene Hackman in Unforgiven. That's a great pick. I love it. I, I'm not gonna, I can't argue with that. That's a good pick. Uh, so my number four goes, and if somebody wants to argue um, this, not so much the performance that I chose, but my the the credentials. If somebody wants to say, well, you know, then they can have they can they can take that to social media. I got no time for them tonight. So here is my number four. I went with, um, a, and we talked about this yesterday on your show. I have a tendency to like. Um, historical you know films films that are historical fiction but you know they take you back and so i went with a what i felt and, and both of my villains so far have been very um in these other roles they've been in have been very understated very reserved very much very zen very peaceful um so for number 4 i am going with ken Watanabe, who was a version of Ra's al Ghul in Batman Begins. Uh, mm-hmm. So again, I can argue that if somebody wants to. Um, but I am, I am choosing his performance in 2003's The Last Samurai. Okay. Um, a Tom Cruise film. It's all about Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is the least interesting character in this film. Ken Watanabe as this, the last of the samurai who, you know, he's loyal to his emperor, to the very end, he is willing to, you know, sacrifice himself if that's what his emperor asks of him. Um, but he's just trying to hang on to this way of life, this traditional Japanese, you know, samurai way of life as the rest of the bureaucrats and business owners around him are trying to, 
move the emperor towards a modernization of Japan, you know, so they bring over these gunslingers and these former soldiers from the civil war and from the, you know, the, the American Indian wars. And they, you know, are teaching them how to use, you know, firearms and, you know, Gatling guns and stuff like this. And, and the whole time he, you know, there's a, a fight scene and Tom Cruise is, you know, the character that is, you know, kind of taken as their prisoner of war and, during his, you know, wintering uh, up in the mountains uh, with with the samurai, he he finds, you know, the peace that he can't find anywhere else. And a lot of it is there's a there's a tug of war, a push and a pull between Tom Cruise's character and uh, Ken Watanabe's, you know, the samurai leader of you know who are you really and what is really important to you. And it's just this beautiful, almost like a, almost like a dance that they do um, in their storylines and their story arcs. And, and with, you know, it's an older film, 2003. So I'm not, but I'm still not going to spoil it because if you've not seen it, it's, it's worth watching just to see how these two forces counteract and again pull and push on each other throughout the, the whole film it's a fantastic film i assume you've seen the last samurai as i've just sat here and waxed poetic about it for a couple of minutes i have yeah it's okay. been a while but i do this is an epic film from what yeah. i recall it's just on a grandiose scale uh, i always thought it you know i'm not i'm not a hater of of tom cruise but i do recall that i always felt like he was kind of miscast here in this movie i don't know mm -hmm. i feel like they could have had a better person in that in that role i don't i don't know it just didn't feel like a tom cruise role to me do you know right. what i mean Absolutely. but i do think it was a great film and i and i saw it when it came out and i've seen it a couple times since and it's very entertaining i don't remember Watanabe super vividly um but i know that i mean it's his story right right i mean so, uh yeah great film man i just need to revisit it but it's a great film all right. Very good. So we've got our first two out of the way. We're in the middle. We're at the hump. What is your number three film? My number three is a film that I should have seen when it came out, but I just saw it about a year ago. So I was late to the party and it's been, it's one of those movies that you see and it just stays with you for, a, well, for me in this case, a year. <laughs> I'm still thinking about it and it's still kind of resonated in my mind. I've watched it one more time since that initial viewing. And honestly, I could watch it right now and just be as entranced by it. But anyway, the actor is Jake Gyllenhaal. So he portrayed Mysterio in yes. the latest Spider-Man film, Far From Home. So that's the villain role. And it's a movie called Nightcrawler that came out in 2014 by Dan Gilroy. You ever see Nightcrawler? Yes. Yeah. It's yeah, creepy movie. <laughs> yeah. Creepy film, as you know, <laughs> speaks to my sensibility. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, a very dark film, but Hall giving a performance unlike anything we've ever seen in his career. And he's a very versatile actor, man. I mean, I could have named, honestly, any number of films if I was choosing him as an actor. But when I saw him in Nightcrawler, I, I just remember going, "This they didn't nominate him for an Academy Award for this. Like, this is literally fucking amazing. Like, yeah, I, it was just tr tremendous, the dedication to the role of this kind of like, you know, seedy, like almost peeping Tom kind of role, <laughs> but, but dialed up to 11 where it's not just an innocent peeping Tom. It's like literally in these homes where murders are taking place and he's like filming it in the bedroom while somebody's being killed. I mean, I mean, that kind of stuff, you know, without giving away any specific spot spoilers, spoilers. Right. Uh, but that's the kind of movie it is. You know, he takes on this, uh, he wants to make money. He's, he's trying to find a job to make money in Hollywood and LA. And he uh, kind of works his way into becoming a, uh, kind of a cameraman that films, you know, different news stories that are happening late at night and they make the morning news or whatever. And if you get the footage to the news station first, usually you get the money. Yep. So he starts kind of working his way into that world where he starts filming car accidents and other things and that are going to make the news. And it just takes a really dark turn where he just takes it way too far. Um, and he can't, he just blurs those lines and he can't, figure out what is right and what is wrong. He's just all about the craft of kind of filming these crimes as they're happening. And he's look looking at it almost as if he's doing a service when really he's breaking the law. So it's a, like you said, it's a dark movie. It's a weird movie, but if you're a fan of Jake Gyllenhaal, you'll never see anything else like this in his career. I mean, it's very, it's very much a one-off performance that I thought he absolutely nailed it. And after seeing it, I can understand the uproar about him not getting nominated for this. I thought it was amazing. 
Yeah, I agree. I, it, it's one of those films when you watch it, you feel like you need to take a shower afterwards. Like, I got to wash that <laughs> off. <laughs> That's accurate. Renee Russo, too, by the way. Yeah. Renee Russo. Um, I mean, I don't want to get too creepy on your show, Joe. <laughs> feel, feel free. If you've, uh, if you've heard half the stuff that's said on this show. She's, she's still looking good, brother. I'll just put it that way. But uh, yeah. she's a great actress as well, and she had a great supporting role in this. So, yeah, if you haven't seen Nightcrawler, check it out. Absolutely. Number three, Nightcrawler. Very good. All right, so my number three, um, like you, I grew up with Gene Hackman as my Lex Luthor. And so... Mm-hmm. I also chose Gene Hackman, so we do finally have a crossover. Um, however, the performance I chose is not the same performance that you chose, where you went with Unforgiven, which was very much, like you said, this, you know, Gene Hackman doing the Westerns, and he's kind of, you know, his shit don't stink, he's better than everybody. Um, I like that from Gene Hackman, but I like it when Gene Hackman, like I said, gives us something we aren't expecting, when he can deliver comedy or you know emotional stuff that's not him just being a hard ass you know he's not just reprising Popeye Doyle from the French Connection that's when I like Gene Hackman the most and the film that I chose the performance of his that I chose is is completely opposite of everything else that I think that we get from Gene Hackman. Um, I went with 1996's The Birdcage. I was hoping that's where you were going. Yes. I got to be honest. I, I was wondering. Um, yeah. But yeah, you're right. I mean, especially The Birdcage came at the end of that run yes. that he had in all those villainous Old West roles, which was kind of hilarious if you think about it, because what a different movie from everything we'd seen him in the five years prior to that. Um, I love the birdcage. I mean, I just named this as one of my favorite films featuring LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. Um, but go ahead. I don't want to steal your thunder, but I no, love this movie. And I'm glad you named it. Yeah. And there's any number of performances from this film that you could pull out. But the fact that they all work so well together in this movie is fantastic. And he plays, he still thinks he's better than everybody else. He still <laughs> is not self-aware, but he plays it for comedy as opposed to playing it for drama or for, you know, thriller, action, suspense, whatever. He's done a ton of that kind of stuff, but Mm -hmm. this is, he's playing a hard right Republican Senator whose daughter is getting married and he is opposed to that. But at the same time, they need a wedding because they need a win because his partner in the Senate died in the bed of a underaged (laughs) hooker. So (laughs) an underaged black hooker, which is even worse for them. That's I don't, you can't tell which is the worst part. The fact that she's underage or she's black or she's dead. It's like like when he's being told on the phone and they keep giving details and he keeps saying it. That's hilarious. You know, so they end up having to go to South Beach uh, to meet the parents, and the parents are a gay couple played by Robin Williams and Nathan Lane, who run a drag nightclub. Um, mm-hmm. it, and I, as and as I love Gene Hackman in this, I love Hank Azaria as the butler, <laughs> Agador Spartacus even more so. But um, but yes, this is one where I, again, I, kind of the way I approached this was different than what you did. I approached it as what are some of my favorite films. Is there somebody in that film who has a standout performance who was in a superhero film? And the, right. and the Birdcage was always at, it's, it's one of my favorite films. So it's always at the top of my list. So it's like, oh, yeah, Gene Hackman, he was my Lex Luthor too. And he's this guy. So, and then at the end, I mean, again, not going to spoil it. The movie's almost 25 years old now, but the way they wrap up that film is just fantastic. Oh, um, if you've never seen Gene Hackman in drag, then you need to check out The Birdcage from 1996. That's my number three film yeah i mean birdcage is awesome man i mean just give a little quick commentary because i do love this movie so so much uh first of all i love nathan lane in this movie i mean bro i mean just on another level from like a comedic standpoint you know we discussed on our lgbt episode for pride month last last month Mm -hmm. that or two months ago now when this will be airing but that you know the the uh, portrayal of homosexuality in that movie is a little outdated in terms of like it's a little bit too cartoonish and right. like they kind of play to the stereotypes so they they lean a little too hard into that right but it's but it's okay because from the from a comedic perspective it really pays off you know and then they also in my opinion they also have the kind of backdrop of the drag club as well the birdcage the drag club there yeah. so it kind of works it never feels insensitive to the gay community in my opinion mm-hmm. and i know that the gay community in general loves this movie too so but i mean nathan lane is an absolute gem i mean in this role is is just 
perfect. He is perfect as Albert in this film. Yes. Absolutely love him. So the Birdcage, great pick, man. And I actually considered it. You know, I picked Unforgiven, mm-hmm. but I did want to put Gene Hackman, and I was kind of playing around with a few different movies of his, and I landed on Unforgiven. But the Birdcage is is right there, man. Great, great pick. Absolutely. So what is your number two? We are we're turning the corner here. We're getting there, man. We're getting there. So uh, I love this guy. And, you know, there's only a handful of actors. You know, you were talking about our main show where we do the top fives. There's probably less than five, honestly, episodes where we've featured a specific actor and mm-hmm. we've counted down their filmography. Right. Um, and this is one of them. And me and Andy did it about a year ago. Uh, absolutely love this guy. And we were talking about versatility and range. And he really has that. And the movie I'm naming at number two is when we really started to see that for the first time in popular culture, where he started to show us something more than kind of the slapstick comedy that we had known him for. But Jim Carrey, who portrayed the Riddler in Batman Forever, I think, amazingly, was in The Truman Show. And The Truman Show is my number two, where he played uh, Truman Burbank in 1998's The Truman Show. Wow. So that's my number two. Have you seen this one? Yeah, yeah. I saw it in theaters all the way back then. So yeah, it's... yeah. It, it, talk about oddly, <laughs> you know, prophetic or whatever. The way that you know we yeah, all yeah. live with our everything's <laughs> online and everybody's the star of their own show. But yeah, that, that's a Tell it's a great film. I mean, you know, this came out in '98. It's a Peter Weir film. I really like him. He also did a movie called Dead Poet Society that I love. But he's a great director too. A very kind of like real world director. Like he really shows you like realistic. Uh, images and settings like it's nothing too abstract you know yep uh, but in the truman show you know it's because it came out in 98 so you got to imagine it was probably filmed in 97 give or take mm-hmm. so the real world was on mtv at the time yep um and i don't think there was a lot of quote-unquote reality tv really happening other than that in the right. mid-90s so you're right i mean the truman show is a very eerie kind of prophetic glance into what we're going to be living you know 20 25 years later but Jim Carrey in this movie, man, you know, we knew him from Ace Ventura and The Mask and, uh, you know, In Living Color. And believe me, I love all that stuff to this day. Uh, I've aged, but my taste in movies has not. <laughs> and right. I still get a kick of, out of all that shit. You know what I mean? I was just, I just put on Ace Ventura the other day because on Netflix. I'm like, oh, yeah. And I watched a little bit of it. You know, I love that stuff. Um, but you know, he took such a hard turn with this and with man on the moon, right? Eternal sunshine. Uh, you know, he had a run where he was like showing us like, look guys, I can, you know, talk out of my ass like I did in Ace Ventura, but I can also really dive into these dramatic roles that have hints of comedy in them. And the Truman show was a brilliant depiction of, like I said, what we, what we would be living with social media and with reality television. And he is a character that, uh, you know, is lost in his own world and wants to escape the situation that he's in and just doesn't know how to. And I think Jim Carrey, you know, we were talking earlier about Hall, and it's very similar with Jim Carrey. And I'm talking about his career. I cannot believe, like to this day, if somebody mentions Oscar snubs to me, yeah, Jim Carrey, in my opinion, is the most snubbed actor, at least in modern cinema. I mean, you've got this his portrayal in this his performance in this movie, his portrayal of Andy Kaufman and Man on the Moon was like the most uncanny piece of method acting I've ever seen. Uh, (laughs) I I don't know that he's ever even recovered from that. Still, it still feels like he's like dealing with the after effects of that. You're absolutely right. It turned him into literally a different person, like his dedication to that role. Um, And some people might think that's over dramatic, but I mean, did you watch his Showtime series? Kidding? Yeah. I mean, just, I mean, I'm not, I'm not joking when I say that he had a shift in his like way of life, you know yeah. what I mean? At a certain point. And maybe it's just a coincidence that it was around that time, but you know, he changed as an actor and he's very versatile. He has an amazing range. Uh, he can make you laugh your ass off, uh, but he can make you cry. And there's so, you know, we mentioned Tom Hanks in our previous conversation we had, he's another one, but there's so few actors like that, that. I mean, just think of how hard that is to, you know, one night you're performing and you're doing comedy and you're making the room laugh. And then the next night you're doing drama and you have to make those same, those same people cry. I mean, you can count on one hand the number of living actors that can do that successfully. And I personally feel like Jim Carrey is one of them. So the Truman Show is, for me, his best performance. I also loved him. In the, I was mentioned earlier for Oscar snubs. 
this one, Man on the Moon, Eternal Sunshine, and you could argue the Cable Guy. Uh, the Cable Guy was also a very versatile, dark, yeah. right up my alley, Joey. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a very stalker, dark dude yeah. uh, that I tend to love. But, I mean, just nailed it, man. And uh, I think he's a great actor. So I wanted to pick him out because I loved him as the Riddler. And I was like, what's my favorite Jim Carrey movie? And it's The Truman Show. So that's my number two. Yeah, very good pick. I would have, pro- if if I were to pick Jim Carrey, and I, I may or may not, uh, I would have picked, I think, Man on the Moon. Um, I, that yeah. That's just, it's just fantastic. He's, he, he plays a couple of different roles in that film and he's just, he's totally unrecognizable in all of them. He's not Jim Carrey anymore. He's Andy Kaufman or he's what's right. the, what's the lounge singer, Tony something or other, but yeah, uh, yeah. I can't think of it now, but he, he's just, he's, he, he disappears. He's not Jim Carrey anymore. Um, but yeah, the Truman show it's, it's, that it's a, it's a heartbreaking film for him and for Ed Harris's character who devoted his life to this guy's life. It's, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a great film. One of the most haunting lines uh, from that film is when, you know, uh, they're at the end with the storm in the mm-hmm. ocean. Yeah. And Paul Giamatti, who has a great supporting role in this film, too. And he looks over to Ed Harris and he's like, you, you know, you're going to kill him. And he says, well, he was born on camera. He can die on camera. Yep. You know, it's just like he doesn't. It's like he's this this guy's father in a way. But also he he's a father of, of the story and of the show that he's telling the public. And that's reality TV. I mean, I don't know if people know or if they have a behind <laughs> view into what goes on with those shows. Right. Those producers do not care about the subjects in those shows. They care yeah. about the ratings, you know. So it was also very prophetic in that way, too. Absolutely. Good pick. Good pick. All right. So my number two, we could have talked about this one yesterday, actually, because because he has played both hero and villain in comic book films. And there are a few people that have done that. Um, and he has a body of work that you could have picked from a number of different films to, to put into the list here. But I think this actor and his performance, every performance I have seen him in, I don't think there's a actor working today who does a better job of projecting want on screen. You, when he's on screen, you know, his character wants something. And I don't just mean he wants it. I mean, he will burn everything to get it. He will push himself beyond his own limits to get it. He, this character embodies that want and desire. And I don't mean that in a necessarily a sexual way, but just a, this guy is burning for something he's hungry. And so my pick, uh, because I felt like this performance exemplified that better than his other performances, um, which are not bad performances at all. But I went with Michael B. Jordan, who mm-hmm. was Killmonger in Black Panther. He's also Johnny Storm in one of those terrible Fantastic Four films. Uh, in Ryan Coogler's Creed from 2015. Um, he nice. and Coogler, of course, have a long-standing working relationship. But I felt like it, it reinvigorated a franchise that had no reason to even be touched. Um it, it just throughout this entire performance, he is just relentless. He is in his pursuit of breaking out of his father's shadow. It's not about, you know, it, it's about winning. It's about getting a fight. It's none of that. It's about getting out from underneath the name Creed, which is the name of the film, because eventually, you know, you've got to come to terms with that. So fantastic performance. And again, you could have picked him in so many others as well. And I think a a few folks on social media yesterday uh, on your show had mentioned him for other roles because he, again, it it fit for that as well. He was a superhero in in addition to a villain. Um, But I think uh, Creed is his most hungry. And that's what I see him on screen. It's hunger, whether it's, you know, as Killmonger in Black Panther, or whether it's you know in Creed, whatever his you know performance he's in, he is he is striving for something, and he does it better, I think, than anybody else right now working. Well, you know, uh, I mean, I, I I had an unpopular take when Black Panther came out in theaters, and I said that on social media we weren't friends at the time, uh, mm-hmm. so I know probably didn't see this, but at the time I said, you know, finally. Uh, MCU ha- has gotten a villain right, you mm-hmm. know, with longer uh, as the antagonist in that film, but an antagonist that you kind of sympathize with and you kind of get it. Like he was a very realistic villain. Like you felt like his intentions were coming from the right place. His approach was just off and was right. a very 
Honest's approach to get what he thought was right, which frankly was right, but it wasn't the way to do it. And, you know, that was kind of what his downfall was. And, you know, the people that he hurt to try to ultimately get that in Wakanda. So I thought they finally got it right. And, you know, that was an unpopular opinion at the time. And then, of course, Thanos is a different. Then uh, they copy pasted uh, that onto Thanos. So. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. And then Thanos came along and it's very similar. And it's like, okay, well, yeah. So you, you guys kind of see what I'm saying here. So. I think Michael B. Jordan's a great actor. You know, I love the sequel Creed too, as well. Yeah. Uh, I think the Creed films are, you know, as a double header, unbeatable. I mean, those two films back to back Creed and Creed two, I think also, I think it's beautiful how, I think it might be a little more prominent in the sequel, but I do think it's beautiful how, uh, Sylvester Stallone's kind of story is also kind of interwoven into that story. Right. Uh, into those movies. I mean, to where he's still a very, uh, important, piece of the dna to those movies even though they're not his movies quote unquote right um but it still kind of pays homage because obviously those those movies would not exist without the rocky franchise and they are part of the rocky franchise so i think that's very beautiful as well the way that you know it's kind of homage to the old rocky characters built into that story of creed and creed 2 uh particularly in creed 2 um i think in the sequel probably more so but uh yeah i think it's a great pick man i think michael b jordan is one of those actors that in my opinion, is going to be around for the next 50 years. I mean, he's so good, uh, and he started so young in his career, um, and he can only go up. I mean, he, he's just making good choices. You know, Fruitville Station, uh, Just Mercy, which I just saw last year. Right. Uh, he's a great actor, man. He's doing great things. I think he's going to be around for a long time. I agree. All right. So we've got four each out of the way. We are to our top picks. Yeah, man. I got chills just sitting here because I can't wait. I can't wait to give you my top pick just to hear you complain. Um, but I'm looking <laughs> just I'm a pretty to sh- easy guy, you know. I know. So, yeah, but uh, you might, you might, uh, I might turn some heads with mine too. But you know what, man? Well, get us I, there. Uh, Tell us what we got. Yeah. So I'm trying to think of how to start this to where maybe I could win some people over. <laughs> explain <laughs> myself. Okay. So. We talked on the previous episode, we did superheroes. We talked about Spider-Man because I mentioned Andrew Garfield in the episode. Right. And, uh, you, you know, some other stuff came up. We talked about Tobey Maguire. And I think Garfield, and I'm just using this as a comparison, but I think Garfield was the best, the best acting-wise Spider-Man and Peter Parker, whereas my favorite or what I was endeared the most to was Tobey Maguire because those movies I really, you know, kind of grew up on. And that was when my first kind of cinematic Spider-Man. Right. And I was a big Spider-Man fan and as a kid. So kind of the first time seeing my hero on screen and that whole thing. Well, in that first Spider-Man movie, the main villain was a Green Goblin. And he was portrayed by Willem Dafoe. And Willem Dafoe, in my opinion, is one of the greatest actors of all time and has so many credits to his name. And you would be hard-pressed to go down IMDb and just run your finger up and down the screen and stop on a movie you every every movie your finger stops on, you're going to say that Willem Dafoe killed it in that movie or in that role. Uh, he's always memorable and he's always at the top of his game. He has such charisma and such class, but he also just really embodies a villain because of the way he looks. Right? Uh, you know, he looks like he was born to be a villain. I mean, he literally looks like the Green Goblin. Yeah, as a person, I mean, you know, walking around <laughs> on the streets. Uh, so I thought he was great in that. So I picked him out from Spider Man. Because I loved him in Spider-Man. I loved him as the Green Goblin. Okay. And I love him just kind of this villainous kind of maniacal character in cinema in general. And I said, you know, his best performance of his career. Okay. And I followed this guy for a long time, brother. And I love a lot of movies that he's in would be in my all time list. This movie, the acting that he put into this film last year is very recent. <laughs> yeah. A director called Robert Eggers, and the film is called The Lighthouse. Yes. So that's my number one. Did you ever see The Lighthouse? Because it is very recent. Yeah, no, it's my, it is my, when we get to honorable mentions, it is my uh, number six. I, oh, you have I, a heartbeat, I, bro. I thought you were going to say it's your number one. I was no. like, oh. <laughs> it, um, I, it barely did not make my top five, just barely. So you agree with me then. So that's great. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Just an absolute tour de force performance. <laughs> This is literally like, and Pattinson too. I'm not even kidding. Like Pattinson also gives a really, really good performance in this. But Defoe, it, it's almost like if you 
were sending your kid to be an actor, you would say, dude, sit down and watch The Lighthouse. Like, watch Willem Dafoe and watch what, what he's doing. Because, first of all, the dialect in this script, um, <laughs> you know, the elements, because the, they really went to this place like in Maine or whatever in the winter to yeah. film it. I mean, it yeah. was like fucking treacherous. You know what I mean? I've seen interviews with him and Pattinson about it. And Robert Eggers, who's a very devoted filmmaker. He also did it for The Witch. Mm -hmm. uh, but very unsavory conditions that they had to act in. And they, you know, Eggers purposely isolates these two actors for, the, for a period of weeks while they're filming this movie. And in the movie, the story is basically, it's basically a story of cabin fever, right? right. Yeah. I mean, there's basically these two dudes in this lighthouse on this aisle, on this deserted island in in the late 1800 or in maine and it's like cold as shit and they like have no one but each other they start kind of losing their minds or are they losing their minds or is it real <laughs> you think you're losing your mind like it's a very like psychological film but i just put it at my number one because of all the things i and i've been following willem dafoe for a long time right and he's been in a lot of my favorite films and like I said, I love him and everything I see him in, I love him in it. He's one of my favorite actors easily. Uh, he's up there with like a Christopher Walken. Like everything oh, I yeah. see, he's just fucking amazing, you know? Yep. And uh, when I saw The Lighthouse, I'm like sitting there. The movie was great, right? And don't take this. Like I love the movie. But I'm sitting there in the theater. I went to see it by myself on this. Like I had a screener like a week before it came out. And it was just me. And I was sitting there at the end of it. And I'm sitting there going to myself because nobody was with me. And I'm just thinking like, I cannot believe that Willem Dafoe has yet again, <laughs> like outacted himself. Like he has yet again, one upped any performance. He's, and he does that. He's done that. He's been making movies for 30 years, man. And it's like, every time he makes one, it's better than the one before it, or it's something different that we haven't seen from him. And how can you keep doing that over the course of like a hundred movies? <laughs> it's crazy, you know? Yeah. But I don't mean to go on and on, but I mean, no, if, no, I, I love if, it. Anybody that's, you know, keen on like the craft of acting, do you know what I mean? Yep. But you cannot really enjoy the story of the lighthouse. And if you just focus on these two dudes acting ability, you will be mesmerized by what they do. If you put yourself in that situation and you're an actor and you're like, how do I pull this off? I mean, they really, really dialed it up to another notch. And uh, it's, it's my favorite Defoe performance. I loved him as the Green Goblin, which is why I chose him for this. Uh, but the lighthouse, my number one. Are you surprised or no? You know no, I love not it. Not at all. <laughs> no, I, no. I was waiting for this. I was yeah. I, I knew yeah. since I hadn't heard it yet. I was like, well, it's got to be number one. All yeah, right, no, I, I agree. I'm, I'm an open book. You know, I don't know. The, no, the word that you use, I think that is absolutely that. This the the appropriate word for this is mesmerizing. That the, his performance, both the performances, the whole film, but his performance right. in particular is absolutely mesmerizing. You cannot take your eyes off the screen partially because you've got to have close captioning on but also oh, because he's i mean yeah it's fantastic Blu-ray, and the first thing i did is like i'm watching this with subtitles yeah exactly uh, and i did the same thing with the witch you know which is also which you may know but is also yep. one of my favorite films of all time yeah that's the same filmmaker but that's my point though because he's writing these screenplays robert eggers with his brother and he did it with the witch too him and his brother write the screenplays so think of the amount of research they have to put in oh, yeah. to get the authentic dialect from 1890s, uh, you know, <laughs> New England to, yeah. and, and in the case of the witch in the 1400s, accurate to put it into a script and then to, to train your actors to, to talk that way naturally. And Defoe, <laughs> I mean, you would think you were watching a video from 1890 in the lighthouse because of how authentic it feels and because of how serious they took it as actors do you yeah. know what i mean yep um and that's just why i love it man because it's just so it just almost makes you proud almost like it almost makes me proud that like uh you know filmmakers and actors are taking cinema so seriously still today to be able to put in the amount of effort that was put into movie a movie like the lighthouse i mean yeah. it's just tremendous it's a tremendous feat in my opinion and i was really disheartened that it went so under the radar and that a 24 didn't campaign a little bit harder for it during Academy season, because it was easily uh, one of the best projects released last year. And it, it only got one nomination. 
Yeah. Uh, and it was for cinematography, which by the way, it fucking should have. Cause it was amazing. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, I mean, they filmed that on all old cameras, black and white. Uh, the ratio was, was authentic. Yeah. Uh, it was amazing. So I'm sorry to go on and on about it. I just absolutely am in love with this movie. So no, I, uh, as you said, you're not surprised as my number one, not at all. And I, yeah, I'm glad to hear it because uh, kind of like you said with Gene Hackman, I'm, I'm glad you put it on there because it, barely squeaked out of my top five into honorable mentions. And I really wanted to spend somebody to say something. And I, I had a feeling you were going to put it on your top five. So that's good. Uh, so my number one is, you know, you mentioned Willem Dafoe as the green goblin, as you know, and a lot of people think of the green goblin as Spider-Man's greatest nemesis. You know, he, Gwen Stacy's neck snapped and you know, all of this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But that's not true. The actor that I chose is actually Spider-Man's greatest nemesis. Um, And the performance that uh, I'm going to talk about as my number one is is just... This actor turns in a great performance in everything he does. And he has done comedy. He has done action. He's done drama. He's, you know, thrillers. He's a tour de force. Every time you see him, even when you don't immediately recognize him because he's put on some bad hair pieces in the past for parts and, and really sold out for those goofy spots. But uh, every time you see him, you know, you're going to get a great performance out of him and no performance. I feel defines the last decade of cinema more so than his performance in 2014 when he uh, starred as a villain of sorts uh, in Damien Chazelle's Whiplash. I'm going with J.K. Simmons, who is Spider-Man's greatest nemesis as J. Jonah Jameson, uh, again, in Whiplash. All right. Okay. Well, you had me on Whiplash because I love that movie and I love J.K. Simmons. And then I'm like, well, wait a second, what comic book villain was he? But now, okay, all yeah. right. J. Jonah Jameson is sure. far and away Spider Man's because because he turns the whole city. You know, Green Goblin will fight Spider Man. He may kill his loved ones and whatever. But J. Jonah Jameson turns the entire or tries to turn the entire city of New York against Spider Man. He is far and away the deadlier villain of the two. That's true because he knows what's going to sell papers. Exactly. He knows what the what the the, the salacious story is. Did you see um, Palm Springs? By the way. Not yet. Who? I haven't had a chance to yet. No. Well, J.K. Simmons is in that. And I didn't yeah. know that when I saw it. And then I'm like, whoa, wait a second. I love that guy. <laughs> so yeah. he's in that too. But I would recommend Palm Springs. That's a really good uh, Hulu original that just came out like yeah. last week. Yeah. And it's so far, it's one of my favorite movies of the year. So, But yeah, in Whiplash, uh, just just the, the quiet menace that becomes not so quiet, but even more menacing throughout this. And then the kind of you know the, you think there's maybe some you know reconciliation you get this sense of catharsis is coming and then you find out it's not I mean, he's just a, he he's just an absolute prick in this film but a prick that you're also kind of love to watch on screen yeah. I mean, yeah. he, he's fantastic in this yeah i know he's great i mean they play off each other so well too him and teller yeah this movie. but this is a great music movie too which came up on that countdown that we did yep um the I mean, I love Chazelle. I mean, you probably know that from listening to the show, but yeah, I just love his style of filmmaking because it's always very bright and vibrant. And regardless of what the overtones of the movie may be, mm-hmm. um, and he has a very he has a very visual storytelling. I love his type his type of filmmaking, but this movie is just shines through from the performances, and I think J.K. Simmons does lead that. So that's a great pick. You know, I didn't. Uh, you know, you don't think of J. Jonah Jameson <laughs> as a comic book villain. Like, if you were sitting down writing down comic book villains, it probably wouldn't pop into your head right away. Uh, I mean, I'm talking about the common man, not you, Joey. Right, right. Uh, um, so I didn't think of it, but I do love Whiplash and I do love Simmons. So great pick. Very good. So recap for us, if you would, one more time, your top five. Yeah, brother, you know, I will. So. I, hopefully you were okay with it, but I got some good honorable too, just in case you weren't. But my number five would have been "You Were Never Really Here," so that's your homework, mm-hmm. and that's for Joaquin Phoenix. Right. My number four would have been "Unforgiven" due to Gene Hackman. My number three would be "Nightcrawler" with Jake Gyllenhaal. My number two would have been "The Truman Show" with Mr. Jim Carrey, and my number one would have been Willem Dafoe in The Lighthouse. Very good. And again, my top five, uh, Chiwe Ajafor and David Mamet's Red Belt from 2008. That's your homework for this week. Uh, mm-hmm. My number four, Ken Watanabe in The Last Samurai. 
Number three, Gene Hackman, the only crossover we had throughout our two-day discussion uh, from 1996's The Birdcage. Number two, Michael B. Jordan in Creed. And number one, J.K. Simmons in Whiplash. Honorable mentions. I know you've got a few. Who didn't quite make the cut, but you feel like is worthy of pointing out their performances? Well, I always limit myself to five. So I could have gone on and on and on here. I did cut some from the list just to keep it to five honorable. So Mm -hmm. what would have ended up being my number six would have been Brokeback Mountain, a movie by Ang Lee that Mm -hmm. could have featured two villains because you have Gyllenhaal here again, but you also have Heath Ledger, who, of course, famously played the Joker in The Dark Knight. So Brokeback Mountain, a beautiful love story, very tragic love story. Uh, my number seven would have been a pretty recent film. It came out a few years ago by Todd Haynes, a filmmaker I love, called Carol. Mm, and it fe- yeah. features Kate Blanchett. Yes. Of course, played Hela in Thor Ragnarok and in the Thor films. My number eight would have been The Departed, featuring Mr. Jack Nicholson, who also played the Joker in Batman 89. I love The Departed. That's a Scorsese film. Yep. My number nine would have been a movie called Crazy Hearts, starring Jeff Bridges who was the villain in the initial Iron Man. Right. Obadiah Stan. And uh, then I love, I wanted to put Harley Quinn on my list because Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn is an absolute revelation of uh, comic book cinema. She's absolutely, unbelievably just embodying character like I could have never believed could have ever happened. (laughs) She's amazing as Harley Quinn. Uh, Suicide Squad was a piece of shit. (laughs) And her performance was literally like, it was like the worst movie with the best performance. Right. It was was so strange. But then I did really enjoy Birds of Prey. And I was glad I got to see that character come back in a movie that wasn't a piece of shit. And of course, this is all my opinion. Right. right. Uh, But I thought Birds of Prey was an enjoyable film where she was playing this character with with much more screen time, frankly. And uh, the same kind of tropes that we fell in love with in the initial film. But I loved her. I love Margot Robbie anyway, but I loved her last year in a movie called Bombshell. Yes. And she had a very emotional performance where she was basically the victim of sexual harassment at Fox News. It was based on a true story. Her character was not based on a real character. She was uh, supposedly a culmination of a bunch of different characters that worked at Fox News. Right. Um, But her performance was very emotional. And the only time I cried in that film was during a scene of hers when she was very emotional. She broke down. Uh, But she's a great actress. And I wanted to make sure I got a Harley Quinn mentioned. So Bombshell would, would have been my number 10. Very good. I like that. That's good. Good picks. My top, uh, my not top five, my next five uh, were, uh, we mentioned this earlier, uh, Willem Dafoe in The Lighthouse just slid out of my top five. Uh, At number seven, I also have Jack Nicholson on my list and I had to just go ahead and go with The Shining because that is such a such a character driven watching him descend into madness uh, is fascinating to watch. I think I, I thought about it. Let me defend myself real quick though. Cause I did think about that. That was so close. And right. I went, I went with the departed because I love how Jack in the departed is really sinking his teeth into that kind of like I'm past my prime, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm, a, I'm an old man now. Right. And I just loved his portrayal of, kind of like he was he was okay with letting go his character i mean but at the same time it was, he was fighting it you know with dicaprio in that film and it was a cat and mouse type thing and i don't know i i thought it was a much more layer performance but jack torrance in the shining is iconic yep and uh i was very very close to putting that on my list as opposed to the departed so i'm glad you did so very good. Uh, at number eight, I had Jamie Foxx in, in Ray. Of course, he was Electro in Amazing Spider-Man 2. Sure. At number nine, I have Joaquin Phoenix as well. I had him in Gladiator. Um, okay. Again, yeah, good one. Another again, villain? Yeah, another villain. Uh, and just to see, he doesn't have the descent into madness like Jack Nicholson does, but to see his character, you know, grappling with the fact that he's not good enough at anything, you know, and and not being loved because, you know, he's not good enough and he's not loved by anybody. (laughs) So very fragile. He's a very fragile uh, villain. Yeah. It it, does it so well. Absolutely. And then at number 10, I felt like I had to uh, throw this one in. Um, But at number 10, I went with Hugo weaving, who was red skull in captain America. Uh, I went with his performance in the matrix, the original, the matrix. Oh yeah. Killed it, another villain. But yeah, killed it. Yeah, absolutely. He he goes. He's he's a he's a computer program, and you feel that for the first you know 
two thirds of the film. But when you get to the third act where he's having that discussion with Morpheus about how he can smell them and you just see that there's another layer to this guy, you know, it's, it's, it's fascinating to watch, to see him kind of go from this very rigid programmed, you know, computer construct to, you know, being something more. And, you know, and then there's the whole debate about, well, is he really the one as opposed to Neo and, you know, all that other, other philosophical stuff that you get after you sit through two more terrible sequels. Uh, right. Well, this is a reload. It was okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I think if you tie it up with a bow, I think the trilogy on paper is great. I just don't, the pacing was really off, particularly in revolutions for me, but I, yeah. I, I reloaded was okay. Like, you know, matrix is an a plus reloaded is probably like a B minus for me. And then revolutions is probably like a D plus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, so, they definitely uh, drop in quality as they go on. Yeah. So on, on the whole, the series, is, the series as, as a trilogy is probably like a B, you know yeah. what I mean? So it's yeah. not horrible. Um, I thought Reloaded was decent, though. I like to pretend like the last two weren't made and just stop with the Matrix and be like, wow, that's pretty cool. They leave it so open-ended. I wonder what happens next. Um, yeah. <laughs> so we I did... did. I did ask my co-hosts on the Pop Goes the Culture podcast as well for some of their picks. Uh, I got at least one out of each of them. Uh, Dakota went with Tom Hardy in Lawless. I'm not familiar with Lawless, so I don't. I know saw it's got Shia LaBeouf as well. Um, it, that's a good film. That I haven't seen that one in a long time, but I want to say that takes place in uh, the 1930s, I think. So it's kind of got that feeling of uh, not the old west, but it's. Um, What's the word I'm looking for? It's when the marshals would chase down all the the right. Bonnie type characters, like that type of film. Okay, but it was it was good. It was good. It, he was really good in it. Very good. Uh, Curtis went with Willem Dafoe. Only his choice was The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, uh, a Bill Murray film. Um, Wes Anderson. Yes. Yeah, Wes Anderson. Uh, let's see. He also chose Jeff Bridges in The Big Lebowski. Good one. Um, Let's see. Dustin went with Charlize Theron, who was in The Old Guard, which is based on a comic property. Oh, he's going super recent there. Yeah, he is. Uh, he said the reason he said he went with her is because he's just fascinated with her right now, which is understandable. Yeah. Charlize, bro. Uh, but he went with her in uh, her performance in Atomic Blonde. Okay. I was wondering where he was going to go there because you could have said Monster, too, which she won her Academy Award for. Could have said and, Fury uh, Road or, I mean, yeah, take your pick. Yeah, yeah, she's she's one of the greats, man. Great, Absolutely. great. And then finally, uh, Brad went with Kurt Russell, who was the villain in Guardians of the Galaxy two. His performance in the Thing. So, oh, good one. I didn't think about that. It's great. You know, I'm a Carpenter guy, so yeah, absolutely. I, I love that pick. I was going to say about the Jeff Bridges. I just wanted to say, you know, I feel like Crazy Heart, which was the one I put in my honorables, mm -hmm. was his best performance. Right. Like, um, in fact, I want to say he won the Academy Award for that. I know he was nominated, but. He, you know, this kind of washed up has been in country music. Yeah. Um, and just, I mean, it, you would think that he was living out his actual life. I mean, he was just amazing in that film, Crazy Heart. But uh, the Big Lebowski is probably his most iconic role. Yeah. So I really, so I really respect that pick too. And then on social media, we took the question to our local Alamo Drafthouse Film Club. Uh, we got uh, one actor, a couple of different performances. Uh, Curtis Killingsworth went with Heath Ledger in Brokeback Mountain, which you mentioned. And Lindsay Ash went with Heath Ledger in Ten Things I Hate About You. So, oh, nice. Yeah. Very, to totally see both of those. Very different, very different roles. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, but both, both hitting it out of the park there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and again, Paul Bettany, uh, you could have also taken uh, a Knight's Tale, I guess, but uh, not, not, not the first thing that you think of when you think of Heath Ledger. So coming up, uh, we are kicking off season four of the pop goes the culture podcast. Join us on the pop goes the culture podcast cast channel. That's I meant to say it that way. It's a cast is the name of the service. It's our channel. Uh, that's at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, next Thursday night, September the 3rd, for our live recording. Or check us out on Friday, September 4th, in your podcast player of choice. More information about that and more at popgoestheculture.com. Gerald, I can't thank you enough for joining me tonight. This is fun. I, I liked having the uh, two-day discussion here. Um, yeah. ho hopefully, uh, we can figure out how to title these correctly so that they fit on Twitter, and we can still get the links to the episodes in there. And <laughs> figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
when and where, what can folks, where can folks, when and, and where can folks find two peas uh, on a podcast? And what topics, what guests, what do you, what things do you have coming up? I know we're recording this a ways out, but what can you talk about? What you have going on? Yeah, we are, man. You know, we um, we have some good things in the bank, there, brother. We got uh, this upcoming. Well, this is coming out in August, right? Yep. Yeah, so we have. Well, it, it, the whole month of October is horror and Halloween themed, yes. so that'll that'll be shortly on the horizon. We're doing our top five jump scares this year. We're also doing our top five uh, women of horror. Mm, that'd be fun. Our favorite horror women. We're doing our top five horror game changers. Uh, films that change the genre and then we're going to do our scariest movie moments so all that's going to be in october um you know we have a lot of stuff on the horizon but i have a new guest host every week and they come in and they kind of pick the topic for me and then i come up with a list and and we have a good time kind of like what you and i've done a few times on the show you know the easiest thing joey i'll just tell your listeners is um just find us on twitter which is where i'm most active in terms of you know posting the episodes and things like that and it's just two p's on a pod and that's two spelled out and then they can find us on literally any podcatcher under two P's on a podcast. And it's again, TWO spelled out. We're hosted on Podbean, and uh, we are on Facebook. We have a fun Facebook fan group that Joey's in. Yep. And that's where I interact with our fans the most. There's a lot of regulars over there that always give us feedback. And you know, a lot of patrons of the show are in that group. Um, so come on over there too and join in on the conversation. But, you know, this is a blast, man. I know it was kind of like a double header, which I've never really done for my show before. <laughs> right. Um, and it was a very, it was a very mind bending topic too. And I, I love that because there's just so many different ways we could have went. Like, you know, if you pick Jake Gyllenhaal, you could literally list 50 movies right now that could, you know, we could have talked about. So right. uh, a very limited realm for crossover, which is cool. So thanks so much for having me, man. It was a blast. I'm a big fan of yours and I appreciate all your support over on the PS2, man. Absolutely. So again, be sure to check that out if if you're not already subscribed to Two Peas, which I imagine I'm talking to like maybe three or four people who are <laughs> listening to this that aren't already subscribed. If you're not, uh, be sure to, to subscribe again. Uh, thanks again, Gerald, for joining us. Uh, we will catch everybody hopefully back here next week for season four, the kickoff for the Pop Goes the Culture podcast. Until then, be safe, be healthy, take care of each other. We'll see you then. This show has been brought to you by the Pop Goes the Culture podcast network. Find links to all of our podcasts and more at popgoestheculture.com.